This is Let's Talk About from Style Canada. And let me tell you, we're talking. Let's face it, we talk a lot. We talk about things we love, hot topics, and anything in between. But what about the things we don't talk about? What about the things we want to know but don't know how to ask? Don't worry, we've got you covered. Let's expand our horizons. Let's talk about it. and welcome. This week we're talking about vaginas with Kim Vaughney. Kim is the perfect expert for this episode. After all, she is known best as a vagina coach. She became passionate about this subject and spreading information on pelvic health while pregnant with her first child. With the credentials to back her up, Kim is a published author, professional speaker, and women's health educator, and has also founded Pelvian Wellness, a company that offers pelvic health programs, products, and coaching for women throughout pregnancy, motherhood, and menopause. I also have joining me today my good friend, Sarah, who is seven months postpartum. Thank you both so much for being here with us today. Excited for this topic. Excited you're talking about it. Yeah, yeah. As soon as we, when we were talking with the team about, you know, having the conversation around vaginas, I realized how little I knew about vaginas. So I'm really excited to kind of dive in. So Kim, I had asked Sarah to join because I think, you know, often women think of pelvic health when it relates to childbirth, but in reality, these are kind of topics we should be talking about before that, right? Um, so I, I kind of want to understand, like, why is pelvic health important and how did you get into this topic? Yeah, so I, I, I sort of, it was a bit of an evolution. I remember seeing a, a childbirth video in grade six sex ed and I just thought, okay, not doing that. And I, <laughs> but, I, but I went home and I looked at my mom a little differently and I thought, well, she did it and she's still carrying on and my aunts and, you know, and I, I had this fear fascination growing up and I would ask my mom questions and my mom was an OR nurse and shared very openly about all body parts, all things. She never, she didn't hold back, which at the time was kind of, you know, when you're a kid, it's kind of like, oh, you know, but now I'm very grateful that she, that she did. And so that was kind of how it started. And then when I, I got married and was kind of, you know, I grew up thinking I wasn't going to have children, but then I was getting, you know, I got married and wanted to start a family. I watched my sister-in-law give birth and that was a transformative time because it was the first time I had seen anything that wasn't lying on your back knees at your ears, somebody telling you to hold your breath and push for 10 seconds. So that's, that was the image I had with birth through media, through that sixth grade um, class. And my sister-in-law used midwife. She was in a sideline birth position. She didn't have any interventions, no tearing, no. And I remember asking her the next day, cause that, cause we were, we were in the delivery room, like we were there watching. And, and my, my thought was, and I said it in my head, but I just said, oh my God, that's a big vagina. <laughs> and then the next day I said to her, I go, is everything like, how does everything feel? Is everything falling out? And she said, no, it kind of feels like it's a little sore, a little tender, but I went to the bathroom normally. And so I just sort of thought, okay, so I can do this. I was pregnant the, the following year using midwives, asked them what else I could do. I really wanted to avoid the challenges that my mom had had. So my mom had episiotomy birth. She had incontinence. She had surgery for that. She had a hysterectomy, which was not related to her pelvic floor challenges per se, but it was a, a surgery that influenced her pelvic floor. So I really wanted to avoid what my mom went through and took inspiration from my sister-in-law, spoke to my midwives and was talking about perineal massage, which is something you can do to help prepare the tissues in the perineum, which is part of the pelvic floor for the stretch that it will undergo during vaginal childbirth. And the intention was prevent tearing, but I know a lot more about it now and it's not necessarily, 
it, it, it does a lot more than that. So anyway, they said that's helpful, but here's this product that we know about too, that could be beneficial called the EpiNo. It's a biofeedback device. I read about it. It had the principles of stretch and strength in preparation for a physical event, which I was a personal trainer and that made sense to me. So I purchased one, had a great experience. I certainly credit. I was in a sideline birth position, which is one of the more favorable ones. I was using a midwife. There was no interventions. I had a lot going for me, but I also had done a little bit of research and education. And I credited this product as well. And I thought, well, I think more people should know about this. And I didn't intend for it to be a business. I just thought I'll contact the company and say, you know, could I sell a couple on the side? And that's how it started. And again, it wasn't supposed to be a business, but, you know, long story short, a few years later, I was laid off from my corporate job. And I said, let me see if I can turn this into something. And social media was coming on the scene. And that's, you know, the evolution is now 16, 17 years later. Yeah. 16 years later. And um, that's how it started. And and I think what, to answer the first part of your question, I saw the suffering that my mom went through and I saw the things that she stopped, she stopped doing, she stopped running, she stopped doing lots of things. And and I just looked at this and said, I love movement. I love exercise. It's beneficial. I want to do that. I, I want to continue to have sex. I want to be able to hold a tampon in. And I, when I, after I had a positive birth experience, my friends who were birthing at the same time, nobody had a, like a horrible experience, but many of them had interventions. Many of them had tearing. And I just looked at this as something that we have an opportunity here to change the outcome or potentially prevent some of the challenges that people are having with the right information. So let's start talking about it. And that's, that's how it started. So I wanted to, I wanted to empower women to be able to birth better birth with confidence, but know that there are things we can do to help prevent a lot of these issues, but also recover afterwards. And that incontinence isn't something that we should be just accepting as normal. And, and unfortunately, that's what media tells us. And the, the conversation has been very hush-hush and taboo. And that's, you know, that's not okay. I think it's a body part. It's an important, very important part of the body that deserves a lot more attention than it gets. And I, I wanted to try to change that. So that's how it all started. <laughs> I love that. I mean, what a, what a journey, I guess, too, right? 17 years. I mean, I guess the conversations when you started, I'm sure now we're all a little more receptive to having some of these conversations and sure it was very different. I think I heard something like when you were trying to get ads approved on Facebook or something like that, the word vagina wasn't allowed in it. Right. So, yeah. So I remember way back when I first started, I remember hiring a PR company. Like I, I, I had never been a business owner. I was just trying to feel my way and I met this woman through a networking group who was doing PR for mom and baby type products. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll give this a try. And I was shut down all over the place because, uh, you know, vagina is not an appropriate word and there might be little ears listening. And, and I just thought, oh my gosh, we need those little ears to hear the word vagina because it's part yeah. of the body. We, we have to stop using code words and and secretly hushing around because that's perpetuating the problem of why this has been taboo. And so that was really frustrating at the beginning. And now things have evolved and social media has played a huge role in starting to open up more conversations, but still vagina is not appropriate on Instagram. So I have to use sometimes the at signal for my A so that hopefully the bots don't recognize the word vagina or that if I use sex, you know, we have to use the three as as for the E. So people are using creative ways to keep trying to talk normally, but it's very frustrating because we get doors shut in our face. 
uh, all the time because uh, a normal anatomical term is considered inappropriate. Yeah. And I think what I find really interesting about your story is there is a lot of emphasis sort of in the lead up to labor talking about, well, what happens if you go past your day? And let's talk about how we might plan to interfere or induce and things like that. And there is very little conversation about sort of in prep for to avoid those situations and certainly what happens after. I mean, my experience certainly involved the ears, uh, uh, legs up near my ears. Um, and it wasn't terrible, but I just, I, nobody ever approached me with a sort of different method or how I can exercise my body to prep for what I thought was the b- biggest workout of my life. <laughs> and it is. Totally. Yeah. And that's exactly yeah. my view is that I, I, you know, I have a, I'm a personal trainer. And so I look at uh, one of the main principles of fitness is the principle of specificity, which states yeah. that you use uh, exercise and movement that mimics the event you're training for. And that's how you prepare. So I looked at birth and I said, a lot of people say birth is like a marathon. And I say birth is like about five or six marathons. You know, when you think of the length of time that we're there and going through labor, it's not just like a quick three, four hour thing for most people. And so we looked at, I looked at the movements that uh, mimic birth positions and looked at birth as being something that's very dynamic. Cause I think the images we see is that we get on a bed and we lie down and we just kind of surrender and just accept that, okay, whatever they tell me is happening, that must be what's happening. And, and we take ourselves out of this process and we really, we really need to be an active participant, mm-hmm. but the information just simply isn't shared. So what exactly, as you say that it is, it is an incredible, it's a very physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually challenging event. Mm-hmm. And when we prepare our body, when we're building ourselves to birth better, we have better confidence we have more mental awareness. We have trust in our body and we have built up strength and endurance and suppleness and the muscles that will help us respond to the demands of labor and birth. So I think that's such a huge missing link. Yeah. To get that information, is that something that like your midwife would give you versus your OB? Like who, who gives you that information or do you have to search it out yourself? I would say right now you still kind of have to search it out yourself. There are a lot more people and, and a lot of them are actually fitness people. Some doulas are doing some training as well. Midwives. I love midwives. I adore them. However, they, they are, their responsibility is monitoring you and, and covering off the main basics. And they spend a lot more time than the medical doctors do during the prenatal visits, but they still, they're not movement professionals either. So they can give a little bit of guidance and even, during birth, they can give a little bit of coaching, but I find that doulas are actually the ones, they're the more hands-on people during birth. And by hands-on, I don't mean they're necessarily touching you, but they're the ones who are, they are there for you. And midwives are, are there for a lot of reasons. And so I always recommend that people have a doula, especially if they're going to be birthing in a hospital. And especially if they're birthing with an OB or a, a doctor. Mm-hmm. because they can be your voice and they can help coach you and they are they are resources so they want to provide you with as much information during the prenatal visits during your actual birth as well but there's a lot of fitness professionals as well personal trainers who are um, and I have a certification course that I do because I recognize there was also a void in fitness where this conversation wasn't happening and when we think of pretty much 80% of people of, of uh, females are giving birth at some point in their life. And the, you know, people who are training, who are trainers 
the majority of their clientele are females. We need this information to be shared with the fitness profession because we have an opportunity there that one of my favorite urogynecologists says that bladder control is a fitness issue. And I kind of say, you know, pelvic floor health is a fitness issue really. So if people are looking for help, you basic, like I shouldn't say basic, but the general prenatal education that is provided either through a midwife or through childbirth educators doesn't typically cover the breadth of the the pelvic floor and the abdominal wall that some of the more um, some of the fitness professionals would I think so doulas are starting that conversation and there are I have a course for doulas as well and so things are it's opening up and I think that you know in another 10 years it probably will be more embraced and talked about with midwives and hopefully with doctors they're a little harder to convince but but it's happening at least change is happening and that's really at the end of the day what my goal was Really interesting. Let's talk about traveling. With experiential gifting from Tingly, you give the gift of an amazing adventure to anyone for almost any location. There are so many great experiences available right here in Canada, but if your recipient is more of a pawn crosser, there is no sweat. Tingly boxes never expire. So when they are ready to hit the runway again, their dream experience will be waiting for them. For more information, visit tingly.com and browse hundreds of gifting options. And then besides the childbirth piece, I know you do, I know you deal with other areas of, of pelvic floor health. So some of the things that kind of came up when, when we were doing research on this was vaginal dryness, Botox. Can you talk about some of the general issues, whether or not, you know, you're, you're in a preg- in pregnancy, postpartum or uh, just kind of the general population that that surround our vaginas, which I'm sure are many, but some of the more hotter topics, I guess. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and that and the the cool thing is that there is there's research, there's evolution, there's so many exciting things that are happening. And I think that for so long it was just accepted as well, but there's not really much we can do. And 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 that's why those messages have been perpetuated. And so some of the more common issues, like when I first started, it was, it was about pregnancy. It was about preparing people for birth with an, and the aim of trying to prevent or at least minimize some of the, the challenges that people have. And then I looked at recovery and said, recovery is a piece that's overlooked. So I, I started a second business and we focused mainly on recovery in the abdominal wall. And then as I was going through these life stages, I was saying, well, this is, this is our whole lifespan. So I'm now pretty much in menopause and we, there's new issues. There's issues at all these major life stages that we have to be aware of. And so pregnancy and birth the big things are, we want to ideally be able to prevent tearing. So I know tearing is a big fear that people have and incontinence and pelvic organ prolapse are something that's very, very common postpartum, but it's not really screened for. And again, people are kind of accepting it as normal. And then in kind of the perimenopause, so the years leading up to menopause, And even actually immediately postpartum, when our estrogen levels are lower, we can experience vaginal dryness. So that that is common in postpartum, and it's kind of like mimicking what we will be facing when we are in menopause as well. We have a lot of estrogen receptors in our pelvis, in our vagina, and when our ovaries stop producing our hormones we have a decline, we have no more production. So those tissues start to lose their suppleness, they start to lose their robustness in a way. And that's when things like dryness and irritation, there's UTIs become more common. 
the pH can sometimes be thrown off. So we have, uh, you know, more prone to yeast infections, that type of thing. And so probiotics is one thing that you can use in your vagina, which people probably have never heard of before, but that's for people who have those common recurring infection infections, that can be something. Botox is a, is a, something that can be used for people who have overactive bladder. Um, it can also be used for people who have pain. So to help relax overactive muscles and it's not, so I want to make a comment on overactive bladder. There's a lot of people who almost self-diagnose themselves as having overactive bladder because they go to the bathroom all the time. And overactive bladder is a true medical diagnosis, but people who go to the bathroom all the time, sometimes they have created that problem behaviorally and they have trained (laughs) trained their, their body, their bladder to signal more frequently than it really should. So normal voiding is every two and a half to four hours and new moms, new parents, when they're up frequently in the night or when, you know, they, they're like, oh, I'm up, I might as well go to the bathroom. Oh, I'm going to do this. And they start to get into these habits or I'm going to be out with my babe. I don't want to have to go to the bathroom. This. Okay, I'm going to pee now just in case. And so these little things that we're doing as coping mechanisms contribute sometimes to the development of pe- what people call overactive bladder. But really that is a medical diagnosis, but so many people identify it as. So If you are going frequently, make sure you go and get assessed first to determine if you actually truly have overactive bladder or if you just need some bladder retraining. Because just like we trained it to go more often, we can train it to not go as often. Hmm. That's another thing. That's interesting. Yeah. And the other... This one is not, I mean, it still many people don't know about it. And it's not, in my opinion, that revolutionary per se, but pelvic floor physio. It's the number one thing we should all be doing. We all benefit from seeing a pelvic floor physio at least once a year, Mm -hmm. especially if you've given birth and especially if you have symptoms. But even if you have no symptoms, I always equate it to the dentist. We have been conditioned to brush our teeth and floss and see a dentist once a year. And if we could get that same PR for our, our pelvis, for our pelvic floor, and I'm not saying that we should see a pelvic floor physio when we're young, but once we become sexually active, I think there's, it warrants a visit to somebody who can help us optimize the health of a very, very important part of the body. Mm-hmm. And again, even if we have no symptoms, I don't, I don't just go to the dentist when I have a toothache. I go every year because I'm supposed to, and they check and they do an assessment and they do a cleaning and our pelvic floor deserves the same attention. So yeah, those are absolutely. Yeah, I think it's really interesting because you mentioned physio and that's definitely one way that we can support our pelvic health. But what are some other ways similar to the dentist analogy where we're told at home to floss and things like that? What are some things we can do at home? Are there products? You know, maybe we can get into talking about how to do a Kegel properly. What are some different ways we can support? There's tons of different products and I get asked all the time. I see this ad for the PeriFit or I see this yeah. ad for this. Is it good? Or, or do Kegel weights work or are, are jade eggs? Okay. So there, there's lots of stuff that is, mm-hmm. that is out there. And I always say before you invest in any product, invest in a pelvic floor physio, because that is the gold standard in terms of learning truly how to do a Kegel. I'll walk you through how to do it. Mm-hmm. And the difference between what I do and what a pelvic floor physio does is I handle, I handle movement, posture, breath work, that incorporates pelvic floor activation. Mm-hmm. Pelvic floor physios do internal assessment and treatment. So they are physios that are licensed to be able to assess beyond the entrance of the vagina. Mm-hmm. And 
that they can look at organ position. They can assess muscle tone. They can assess your ability to contract and relax. They can look if there's scar tissue that might be impeding some function. That's not within my scope. That's their job. And they refer out to people like me to help encourage people to move because seeing a physio and getting that addressed is great, Mm -hmm. but we need to brush our teeth. We need to do Kegel exercises. We need to keep moving and and make sure that our pelvic floor is, is active and functioning and, and we know how, so we need to know how to do Kegels correctly. We need to do them consistently and we need to do them coordinated with movement. And the reason we need that is because even if I see a physio, I know how to do Kegels. I start doing them correctly. Uh, and consistently by sitting here at at my desk or by sitting at every red light. That is better than nothing, but the symptoms that a lot of people have, like leaking or urgency or pressure, or I feel like something's in my vagina, those don't necessarily happen when you're sitting here. They Mm -hmm. happen when you stand up from your chair, when you lift your child, when you push a heavy door open. That's when those things are happening. So we need to train our pelvic floor to be able to respond to those types of things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting because I feel like anytime a conversation has been had about Kegels, I always hear they're so easy. I do them, you know, um, while sitting at my desk or I, I do them while sitting on the subway, you know, and it's, it's positioned as something you do when you're like just resting. And I don't think I've ever heard them as something that you do while in movement. So I think yeah. that's really interesting. Totally. You can do them and you can't do them while you're resting and, and sitting on the subway. But actually one time I was in Toronto and I was on the subway and I was standing up and I was holding on and I was, I'm just a geek. So I'm just always like, well, I wonder what my pelvic floor is doing. So I check in and I was just, <laughs> as, as you kind of get thrown around on the subway, as it moves around and tosses you, I was paying attention to how my pelvic floor was responding. Mm. And so that's kind of, and not everybody necessarily will have that awareness immediately, but once right. you connect in with it, you'll develop that. And then I started to say, okay, well, here I am. I'm, I'm in a moving state. I'm going to add some kegels here and, and do that. And then I mimicked it at home by taking a BOSU and turning it upside down. So the uh-huh. dome was down Yeah, and I stood next to a shelf and I just kind of tried to mimic being on the the subway. I love that analogy. The subway. If Sarah and I, Sarah and I are friends from New York, so yeah. we've often taken the subway together. The subway is like time. the perfect place to be practicing this because your body is jolted every which way, oh, yeah. right? So, yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's too perfect. Yeah, yeah. So let's walk through how to do a kegel. So here's okay. my point. Oh wait, wow! Wait. <laughs> okay, everyone's like, wow, what's that? Um, I love it. So I just kind of give you a landmark here. So this is a, this is a pelvis. This is the pelvic floor. This okay. would be a person lying on their back. So you could imagine their butt cheek here and another butt okay. cheek here. Mm-hmm. Here's the anus. Sorry, this is the anus. This is the perineal body. This is the vulva, and the okay. vagina, and the urethra. Mm-hmm. And the pelvic floor attaches kind of like a diamond shape. So we have the pubic joint. We have the two sit bones. So if you pull your butt cheek, like the flesh away, you should be able to kind of dig through and find a bony point. Mm-hmm. And then at the base of our spine, I'll turn it around this way to show you at the base of our spine, we have our tailbone and that's another attachment point. So that kind of gives you reference to what I'm talking about. The pelvic floor is a group of muscles. It's three layers. The -hmm. first two layers are predominantly responsible for closing openings. So think about pee, poo, fart. We want to be able to hold those in until it's an appropriate time to eliminate. 
Mm-hmm. So those muscles are responsible, are partially responsible for that. And then the third layer is responsible for our organs, bladder, uterus, rectum, helping keep them supported up in place. And a Kegel exercise is a voluntary activation, like a, a almost like a closure and a bit of a lift and then a letting go of that group of muscles. So there's a range of motion that our pelvic floor muscles go through. Just like when I do a bicep curl, there's a range of motion that I go through. Right. There's a contract and, and, you know, come up to my, my full, the top almost. And then I lengthen again, I I release that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So our pelvic floor is no different. It's a group of muscles. We have slow twitch fibers, fast twitch fibers, just like the rest of our body. And the thing with Kegel exercises, Kegel, Kegel, doesn't really matter how you say them. They have been misconstrued. So people think of a Kegel as a, as a squeeze. And a lot of times people will grip their inner thighs or they'll squeeze their butt cheeks or they'll suck their abs in and kind of hold their breath thinking they're doing a Kegel and they're using other muscles to actually do what they think they're supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. So let's learn how to do it. So this is the vulva. So this is the giant plush version of what I just showed you on the model. This would be your labia majora. So this is the hairy lips. These are the lips without hair Mm -hmm. and the vagina would be inside here. There's your clitoris. Okay. Mm -hmm. A couple landmarks. So when I teach a Kegel, first of all, I usually have somebody do it first in seated and ideally seated, sitting on like a stability ball, an exercise ball, or if you don't have that, take a rolled up towel and put it sit on your chair and put that lengthwise so that you have a bit of roundness that pushes up into your vulva. Mm-hmm. And from a positioning, a lot of people sit like this, where the tailbone is actually tucked under them. Mm-hmm. And what I want you to do is actually nod the pubic joint forward. So you're sitting on your vulva. Are we adjusting? At least? Are we doing yeah, I was just adjusting. <laughs> and hip bones, your hip bones are in the same plane as your pubic joint. Mm-hmm. And I'll get, that's another important point in a minute, but that's from a pelvis position this is actually where we want to live. This would be considered neutral pelvis, but most of us spend our time here. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't allow the pelvic floor to actually get into its optimal resting length. It can contribute to a little bit of shortening and it, it doesn't allow for full support for the organs either. So mm-hmm. we want to spend as much time in neutral as possible. Doesn't mean we can't slouch every now and then. We totally can, but just don't live there. Yeah. So you're in your neutral pelvis. You've, you've knotted your pubic joint forward. Your vulva is now on the surface of the chair. Okay. I'm going to hold the vulva up to give you a visual, but yours is, is against a surface. So when you take a breath in, what should happen in our body physiologically is our diaphragm moves down. It draws air into the body. And in order to get as much oxygen as possible, it asks the ribs to expand. It asks the belly to expand and it asks the pelvic floor to expand. So when you take a breath in, when you're sitting there, I want you to think about breathing laterally into your bra strap, or if you can imagine wearing a heart rate monitor. And then I want you to let your belly relax. You don't have to really inflate your belly, but just allow your belly to be soft. So there'll be an overflow of air that goes into your belly and then bring your attention to the surface of your chair. And can you feel like there's almost like a sense of fullness that happens when you take a breath in? Can you imagine your vulva blossoming? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine your labia like lungs and they're filling up with air as well? And then when you exhale, there's a retraction of that. So the air is going to leave. That sense of fullness will subside. The belly naturally draws in without thinking, pulling belly bent to spine, just allow it to draw in naturally. Mm-hmm. And the ribs will, will start to soften as well as the diaphragm lifts back up. So 
with me. You're going to inhale and you're going to expand laterally into the ribs, overflow into the belly, blossom your vulva. And now when you exhale, just allow the air to come out and feel that subside. And now in the next one, we're going to add a pursed lip blow. So you're going to inhale and expand, blossom your vulva. Now exhale, purse the lips on your face, blow as if you're blowing out a candle. And that should heighten the sensation of the retraction and the belly naturally coming in. Yeah. Now this time, inhale and expand, blossom your vulva. Exhale, purse your lips. Imagine picking up a blueberry with your vagina and your anus. And then you're going to inhale and you're going to put the blueberry back down. And this is where it's always like I say, what's your kegel face? Because people are like, yeah, exactly. After to see yeah. what my face is. <laughs> I have a video on my YouTube channel called the core breath. So if you just go to YouTube and put in core breath, Kim Bopney, or even just core breath, you'll find it. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of them. One's old and one's newer, but mm-hmm. they're the same information. So, so that's one cue. Another cue could be sip a smoothie through a straw with your vagina on your exhale. Right. Another cue could be, imagine there's a tampon slipping out and you have to pull the tampon back in. Mm-hmm. I was doing this so wrong. Yeah, so was I. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'd always heard it's like, imagine you're trying to stop the flow of pee, which, you know, maybe is true. But again, there's that sudden like clenching, that sudden sort of panic, as opposed to what you just walked us through, which felt very like relaxing and relaxing yeah. and yeah. Like, yeah. Again, sort of in tune with your body as opposed to panicking and trying to pull something up. Totally. Yeah. And, yeah. and another thing about the, the toilet reference is that that is the group of muscles that will help you stop the flow of urine. Yeah. But I, I, I want to emphasize that's not where you should be practicing your Kegels. So every yeah. like, once in a blue moon, sure. See, do I have the strength? Can I close the openings up and can I stop the flow of urine? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And then let it go. But if you, if you're practicing there, that's going to interrupt with the whole mechanisms of elimination and it could even contribute to infection. So just use it as a test. Yeah. Quick so test. The Kegel, I feel like is the, what we all t- talk about for exercise when it comes to their pelvic floor. Is there any other exercises that we should be doing or any other kind of best practices? So I, I do believe that we have a place for doing a set of a few Kegels each day with some movement. So you can add it to a bicep curl, you can add it to a squat and just think about the exhale, so the inhales were the the blossoming. The exhale is when you pick up your blueberry or sip your milkshake. The exhale, when we when we are in fitness, we usually exhale with exertion. So when we're lifting the weight or when we're pushing, doing a push up. So whenever we're exerting the force, that's when we want our pelvic floor to be engaged. And when I'm working with people too who may already experience symptoms like incontinence or prolapse. You're going to exhale just before you say do a bicep curl. So we're retraining. We're kind of reminding the pelvic floor, hey, I'm going to do something and I need you to be engaged. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of retraining the timing as well as working on the strength. Mm-hmm. And then as you become more conditioned, then you can exhale while you're doing it. And then eventually you get to the point where you just move and allow the pelvic floor to respond. So you may have a set of Kegel exercises and then just move in varied ways. So movement in and of itself is good for the pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. Kegel exercises, there's lots of physios that have different types of Kegels. So elevator Kegels, there's like some, my, my old business partner has like 13 different types, depending on what the person's pelvic floor would benefit from. Mm. And then there's devices. So like I mentioned before, the Perifit, the LV, the Jade eggs, those type of thing. I'm the Jade eggs became very popular with goop and yeah, yeah. Those. you have to be careful with those because they can 
um, they're porous and they can harbor bacteria. And so they can contribute to infection. And some of them, if you are using a product, always make sure it has like a little string on it to actually have one right here. So here's the PeriFit. You want to make sure that it has something to use to remove like a tampon. The ones that don't, they'll, the instructions are bare down and it's almost like you want to birth the, the product out of your body, which I absolutely 100% disagree with. Bearing down is damaging to our pelvic floor. So always make sure there is a little bit of a string. So this is the PeriFit. This is a really popular one. It is fun because it has gamification. It goes with the app on your phone and it, it allows you to do you know, long, strong, strong holds. It allows you to do quick flicks and it, you, you're basically looking at your phone and playing a little video game with your vagina, mm. with your pelvic floor muscles. So those are beneficial for some people, but again, make sure you get an assessment first and determine mm. if that's what your pelvic floor needs, because Kegels are they're, they're Most people think of them as strengthening and some people need a little bit more lengthening. So that's not to say that you shouldn't ever do a Kegel if you need more of the lengthening. We still want to take the muscles through their full range of motion, but maybe we need to do some more release work. So lying in a supine butterfly position from yoga, or maybe putting your legs up the wall and doing a, a wide leg or happy baby pose from yoga, or using things like lacrosse balls, to sit and do some myofascial release within the pelvis. That can be beneficial as well. If that's a form of exercise, like we do yoga for our body to lengthen, we can mm -hmm. do the same thing with our, our pelvic floor as well. Would we know if our, if our pelvic floor was tight or is that something that the physio would have to tell us? Like, is there a way to self-diagnose that or no? You, you could have, there's some things that could be clues that maybe you do have challenges with like more overactivity. So there's, there's muscles that over time, like that become chronically shortened. Okay. And then there are people who just have more overactivity. Like they, they're, they're kind of bossy muscles. So there's, there's two there. And a lot of people say, well, I've been told not to do Kegels because my pelvic floor is too tight. And so we want to understand, is it, have your muscles actually shortened or is it just that they are doing more than they should. And we need to kind of dampen their response. So other muscles can come in. So we have, so that is something a physio can help you assess. But things like if you have pelvic pain, if you have pain with sex, if you have difficulty inserting tampons, fingers, toys, penises, what have you, if when you sit down to pee, it's difficult to start the flow of urine, uh, constipation, um, listening to your pee. So if you sit down and you, you, if you're ever, I said this in another call the other day, if you're ever in a, in a stall with a lot of people and you, you hear everybody peeing, some of them sound like it's just like a flood of water coming out. And sometimes it sounds like somebody's got their finger over the front edge of the hose and the water's going. So that sort of sound might be more, maybe contributing to that. The person might be having a little bit more overactivity. Those would be the more common ones I would say. And, uh, but we don't always have those symptoms and we still may have some overactivity or even trigger points in the pelvic floor. So seeing the physios really gives you a true understanding of what the status of your pelvic floor is. Okay. Well, that's good to know. One of the things, obviously we talked about incontinence and how that's something that, you know, in terms of media and in terms of public perception is something that, Oh, it just comes with, you know, 
you got this gift of a child and now you, the trade-off is incontinence. But I think in talking with a few of my friends who haven't had children, they experience those symptoms themselves, whether it's bending down and picking something up or sneezing. Um, So I think it's really interesting that it's a topic that seems to run through all adult women. And so I'm wondering, do you have um, sort of any thoughts on at what point is incontinence maybe normal and when it should be looked at? Or is incontinence in general just something that, uh, you know, really as soon as it happens, you should, you know, look to a professional? As soon as it happens, you should look to a professional. Okay. Yeah. How old you are. There, there are young people, young elite athletes. Um, there are, and if you look at the, the pad company commercials, the mm-hmm. people in those commercials are getting younger and younger and younger and yeah. younger. And it used to be something we associated just with people who were in care homes. And, and that is certainly common, but it's, it can happen to anybody. So as any time urine comes out of your body when you don't want it to is incontinence. And some people will be like, Oh, but, well, it only happens when I'm on a trampoline jumping with my kids. And I hardly do that. So it still is a sign. Still it's happening. Still, yeah. Yeah. So it still is a signal your body is sending you asking for something to change, asking for some help. And it's very, very treatable. Stress urinary incontinence, which is when little bits of urine leak out with exertion. So laughing, coughing, sneezing, jumping. That's the most common. It's very treatable. It's a, it's a fitness issue. And we can have urge incontinence, which is where we get sudden overwhelming urges. And sometimes we may not make it to the bathroom in time and there may be a full release of the bladder that sometimes can be nerve damage, but that can be many times improved with pelvic floor physio. And sometimes that can be retraining. So I was talking earlier about the people who may have inadvertently contributed to the problem developing or the frequency side of things. So it's a signal and it's worth paying attention to. And there was a stat out of the UK that women wait, pardon me, on average, six and a half to seven years before they seek help. And then they typically will go to their doctor and the doctors are trained in pharma and surgery. And so that's typically what the path they get sent down. And there's not as much collaboration with the pelvic floor physio world as I would love to see. And I'm hoping that that starts to to change, but our medical community, we need surgery. We need pharma on occasion but there are so many other things to pursue first. There's physio, there's pessaries, there's changing our fitness, there's foods, like diet can play a role. There's so many things we can address first as a, as a you know, conservative methods. And then thankfully we have those as options if nothing else is working. But as soon as you notice any signal, any sign that something is not feeling right, right. absolutely make an appointment and go. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I love the sort of hard line in the sand of if it even happens once, it's sort of one too many, because I think the self-diagnosis is where people probably delay seeing somebody. Um, So I love that. I think, yeah, as soon as it happens, ladies, find a professional. (laughs) Go to the physio first. Yeah. And and then they are the ones who can screen. And if it's something medical, then they will say, you need to see your doctor. But Again, so many times it really is, it can be addressed. There's an 80% cure rate with pelvic floor physio for incontinence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 80%. That's significant. Yeah. yeah. That is wow. significant. And I think too, um, I think a lot of products are starting to really 
take advantage of the taboo nature that it, it feels like it is. Um, because, you know, you see something on the shelf, like I was, I was served an ad on Instagram and it was, um, these strips, I guess, for incontinence. And basically it's a strip that goes over top of your urethra. And so it's definitely not solving the problem. It's literally putting a bandaid on the problem. And again, you know, at that point I was, I was up late. I was breastfeeding. I had tried to go for a run, um, the day prior. And it was the first time that I experienced, you know, uh, frankly, urinating in the middle of my run. And I thought, oh my gosh, like either they had overheard a conversation I had had or something, but this (laughs) ad feels so relevant at 2am right now. So I guess I'll just order these $20 strips and see if that fixes it. Um, And then as Elise and I started chatting about this and I heard that there is in fact like a vagina coach, it's a whole profession. I thought I need to solve the root of the problem and not literally put a bandaid on it just to stop it. So, yeah. And that's a big piece. Like the, the, and this happened to me as well, too. I thought because I didn't have any tearing and, you know, I, and I was fit that, okay, I'm good. And, and then I was out for a run one day and mm-hmm. I, I had a little bit of urine leak out and I thought, wait a minute, I'm fit. I had clearance. Yeah. I didn't tear. How can this be? And it's a group of muscles that are through pregnancy. And even, even people who haven't been pregnant, right. we go through changes in life hormonally. We maybe have falls. Maybe we have surgeries. Maybe we have car accidents. Maybe we sit in terrible posture all the time. Lots of things contribute to challenges with our pelvic floor. And we need to retrain the synergy between our breath and the pelvic floor. And it's kind of core. There's a core four, I call it Mm -hmm. uh, between that team. And when we retrain that synergy, then we often, we can return to running and usually run faster and longer. We can lift heavier. We can do all these things because that's where we generate our power from is our pelvis. And when our pelvic floor muscles are conditioned and trained, then we have more opportunities. So the, the re, I will say you have to retrain before you train. And that goes for the postpartum population, but anybody who I work with, even if they've never given birth and they're in menopause, we come back to the core breath, connect with the breathing and the pelvic floor, get the anticipatory element of that pelvic floor retrained, add it into movement. And then you progress back to running, jumping or whatever it is that you want to do. Yeah. Cause I have to say, even in us doing that little exercise, I feel like you know, I've always, I've always worked out and I've always been very physically active, but I remember them always saying, take a full deep breath all the way down to your belly. And now I'm going through that exercise with you. It's like, why stop at the belly? Like we cut off a whole like quadrant of where we could be finding even more sort of strength. So I think, um, yeah, like that's really, really great. And I, I agree with you. Like, I think, I'm sad that this came up because of, you know, postpartum and that I wasn't aware of this just as a woman going into her thirties or even in her twenties, um, just being aware of these things. Cause I think it's, it shouldn't just be a postpartum issue. No, no, it's, and, and I, uh, and on that note, a final point is it's never too late. So if you're hearing this and you, you know, again, you, whether you've given birth or not, or say if you have given birth and it's been 15 years go make your appointment and start now. It's never too late to make change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Kim, thank you. I mean, I love how you, the way you speak is obviously very like mind, body, spirit, and holistic, which I always appreciate versus like, you know, the band-aids that Sarah got fed on Instagram. (laughs) So thank you very much. I mean, I've, you know, I've learned so, so much. And, and we say at the, you know, at the end of each podcast, we're kind of 
we kind of like to direct people towards actions to take, but I think you've done a great job throughout this talking to us about what we can do to take control of our pelvic health. Where can everyone find you uh, if they want to do some more research? Yeah. So vaginacoach.com is my website and my social media handles. I spend most time on Instagram and uh, all my handles are vagina coach. And in my, in my bio in Instagram, there is a link to a free webinar called six steps to show your bladder who's boss. So that's another way for people to get a few more tips on how they can, can take action. And I talk a lot about the retraining of the bladder. So if you are one of those people who is starting to notice that they go more often, there's a lot of tips in there. So that would be a great resource for for people. So thank you. I really appreciate you having me and helping open up the conversation and sharing it with your audience. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was very informative, learned a lot, and we're going to continue the conversation on Style Canada as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this conversation. We will have a brand new one on a brand new topic every Monday. If you were intrigued by anything in our conversation, we encourage you to talk about it. Tell a friend, post on social media, take action in your very own way. Subscribe to get the newest episode at your fingertips as soon as it drops. Until next time, check out Style Canada, a disruptor in the media for its community of inquisitive style seekers. You can find us at style.ca or on social media. Just like this podcast, Style Canada is not just about style. It's about living a lifestyle that leaves people open to evolution and opportunity. This episode was hosted by Elise Gasparino, produced and edited by Alia Ballas. The music credit goes to Raspberry Music and was brought to you by Style Canada. Style Canada.